Well, hey guys, it is good to be with you today. If you don't know me, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. You'll typically find me hanging out with the awesome people of our Greece campus. But as we just thought about, it's Memorial Day weekend. And man, this is a special time, an important time on our nation's calendar every year where we think back, we remember the sacrifices of many brave men and women across such a long time to secure the freedoms that we enjoy today. Not only that, but it's also sort of Memorial Day, the unofficial kickoff of summer. And man, maybe more than that ever before, we are really looking forward to getting outside of our houses into the warm weather. Maybe the warm weather has, you know, come to stay here in Rochester for a while. But man, we're looking forward to having some fun. And so let's actually have a little bit of fun together today. We're going to play a game. And this is a game that you actually remember probably from when you were a child. It's the memory game. So I'm going to put some cards up on the screen. In fact, there they are right there. And uh, we're going to go ahead and, and in just a moment, I'm going to flip those cards over. And I'm going to ask you to remember where the objects, uh, where the cards each are located. Ready to try this? All right, let's give it a shot. Let's go ahead and flip those cards. All right, a very nice Memorial Day theme for you today. And uh, see if you can lock the location of those cards in your mind, because in just a moment, we're going to flip them back over. And I'm going to test your memory. You ready to try this? All right, let's flip the cards back over. All right, cool. And uh, we're going to only have time today to test this just once. And so you got to make this first guess your best guess. Okay, so let's go ahead and flip one card. It's card five. It's the stars. Can you remember where the matching card is found? If you said location seven, you're wrong. But if you said location 10, you are absolutely right, and your memory is still doing just fine, so nice job on that. Well, we can have some fun, we can play some games with our memory, but more than that, our memory is important to the way our lives function each and every day, and how awful, how debilitating it is to lose the function of your memory through something like Alzheimer's or dementia, and to lose your memory is to lose a part of yourself. But not just our memory, our memories of the past are important. And here on Memorial Day weekend, we, we really remember uh, how important our memories are. And we, we realize that our memories, they help us preserve the past. Uh, they help us preserve the past. And, and man, there's some things that we don't want to ever forget. There are events that we vow to never forget. Events like 9-11 or the many lives lost in battle uh, we set up uh, memorials and we put holidays on our calendars because we never want to forget the price that was paid to secure the freedoms we enjoy. We never want to see past injustices repeated. We also know from our everyday experience that forgetting can be very costly. If we miss an appointment at work, that might cause us to lose favor with our boss. If we miss enough of them, it might cost us our job. To forget to replace the smoke detector batteries at home, well, that could prove fatal. And so we set calendar reminders and our smoke detectors beep annoyingly at us and incessantly because forgetting can be very costly. And you know, just like that, there are some spiritual truths in our life that would also be so important for us to remember that forgetting them would come at a very high cost. And God knew that to be true, so in his message that he gave to us that we call the Bible, he gave us many memory tools, things like songs and object lessons and lists. And today we're going to look in our time together at just one of these lists, one of these memory lists found in Second Peter 
chapter 1. And man, if you have a Bible available to you, I'd love for you to go there. Join us there at 2 Peter chapter 1. But look, we're all in this sort of unprecedented time in history, right? Like we all get um, this sort of redo as our world begins to re- open and we've been in this social distancing thing for months and we're eager to begin adding, you know, the sort of normal routines back into our lives. And as important as it is to add the right activities, I think it's even maybe more important from God's perspective that we add the right attitudes and the right affections into our lives. And here I think is where our memory can really serve us because just as our memories help us preserve the past, our memory can help us really build our future in a way that honors God. I think if we uh, remember this list of qualities that Peter's gonna show us, it can go a long way in ensuring that the new normal that we create for ourselves here very soon is actually even better than the old normal. And so that's uh, the end to which we're, we're hoping to uh, put this list of items into use in our lives. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 3, where Peter, speaking of Jesus, writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If I could sum up what Peter's saying there, he's basically saying that because of all the resources God's given us, we can actually become more like Jesus and we can avoid desires that would be bad for our lives. And then in verses five to seven, Peter's gonna give us this this list of qualities. And look, let's be honest, like lists, they're not that exciting, right? Like shopping lists, to-do lists, boring, right? Like a list only becomes interesting to us if it's absolutely essential. Like if the items on the list are like life or death, make or break items. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, uh, I often would take students on week-long wilderness trips. And before we would go out into the wilderness, I would gather the students around and I would distribute lists of items that they would need to remember to bring and to, to know before leaving on the trip. And I might say, hey, guys, you know, when we're out in the wilderness, uh, man, you could get cold and wet and suffer hypothermia. And they were like, ooh, like that doesn't sound very good at all. Like how do I not get that, right? Like, guys, when we're in the the wilderness, you could run out of food and starve. And they're like, ooh, that doesn't sound very good. Like how do I not starve? Like what do I need to bring? Guys, when we're in the wilderness, like you could run into a bear. Ooh, that's, you know, that sounds dangerous. Like, how do I not get mauled by a bear, right? And so suddenly this otherwise mundane and sort of routine list, it actually became interesting, even exciting, because the mundane becomes meaningful when there's a lot at stake. And what is it with this list that we're going to look at that Peter gives us that ought to make it interesting or even exciting to us? And what's at stake if we don't have the items on this list? Well, I'm glad you asked because Peter actually answers that very question, but he does it in the verses immediately following the list. And so for a moment, we're going to sort of leapfrog over the list and we're going to go to verse 8 where Peter writes this, for if you possess these qualities, the ones on the list, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Wow, so wait a minute. If I have the items on this list, 
then that means I'll be effective and productive in my Christian walk. But if I don't have the items on this list, then I could actually be blind to the most vital truth about my life that I've been cleansed from my sins before God. Man, then I've got to have the items on this list. Like, what are they? Because I've absolutely got to have them. Well, hang tight, because we're going to look at the list in just a moment. But before we do, we need to notice two things. First of all, the list that Peter gives us, it seems to come in a very logical sequence. It seems like it's a, a logical stacking of the kinds of, of attitudes and the kinds of qualities that we should expect to see developed in our Christian lives over time. And so I think it can kind of serve as a Christian growth plan for our lives. But the other thing we need to notice is that it isn't only followers of Jesus that have these qualities. No, because of God's common grace to all of mankind, every person on planet Earth displays all of these qualities to one degree or another. But Peter's point is simply this, that as a follower of Jesus, you should expect and purpose for these qualities to be developed in your life. So, without further ado, here's the list. And we're going to work from the bottom of the stack upward. And if you're using uh, our Northridge Church app, which we highly recommend you do, uh, you're going to want to actually go down, you're going to scroll down in your notes to uh, the word faith. You'll see the word faith in your notes, and that's going to serve as uh, sort of the bottom of our stack, and then we'll work our way on up. I know that's a little weird, but um, that's kind of the, the way this is going to function today. So scroll down to the word faith, and we'll work our way up from there. And, and the reason faith is uh, the first item in your stack on your notes is because it's the first quality that Peter mentions. Uh, he says it in verse 5. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he lists a bunch of qualities to add to our faith. And so Peter talks about faith. He says, make every effort to add to your faith. And when he talks about faith, man, we can have faith in a lot of different things, but Peter's specifically talking about putting personal trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that is what begins a person's journey with God. We could say that it establishes our relationship with God. This, this faith does. It's where our relationship with God begins. And we need to recognize that this faith is actually a gift. If you notice in, in actually verse 1 of this chapter, Peter's introducing himself and he says that he's writing to those who have received a faith as precious as ours. So all the other qualities on this stack that we're going to look at, we have the ability to add, but not this one. This one we can't be the source of. We make every effort to add qualities to our faith, but we don't make any effort for our faith. That's 100% God's work. And I think the question we all need to ask ourselves is this, have I received the gift of faith from God? Have I placed my faith in response in the gospel of Jesus? Have I made Jesus the leader of my life and forgiver of my sins? Man, if you've not made that decision, if you've not done that yet, if you've not received this gift of faith, we would urge you to do that. If you need to take that step today or you're curious about what that is all about, we'd love to connect with you. You can text the word trust to the number on your screen. Someone will interact with you and, and talk to you about how you can receive this gift of faith and have a relationship with God. There's nothing that would bring us greater joy. We've seen so many people do that over the past several weeks here at Northridge and we'd love to hear from you if that is your need. But once we've received this faith, then we can add to the stack the quality of goodness and to your faith, goodness. And this goodness could be defined as moral excellence. 
The idea behind this word is that something fulfills the purpose for why it exists. So, for example, a doctor is a good doctor when she heals. Uh, A road sign is a good road sign if it helpfully directs traffic. A Christian is a good Christian when he or she grows to be more and more like Jesus, when their actions and their attitudes reflect uh, more righteousness, because that reflects Jesus, who is purely good. And Peter presents this first on the stack after faith. He presents this as, in that sense, the first best evidence of faith. It's not the foundation. This goodness isn't the foundation of our relationship with God, but it's the result, in fact, the most direct result of our relationship with God. And I think because these two sit so closely together on the stack, if we're not careful, we can run the risk of actually inverting the order. And we can begin to uh, count our goodness as what establishes our relationship with God instead of our faith. This has been, a, a man, a major tripping point throughout human history. We're all susceptible to this kind of thinking that if I'm, if I'm just good enough, if I just have enough moral purity, if I avoid enough sin, if my good outweighs my bad, man, then maybe God will accept me. But Peter is helping us understand here that that's not the correct order. It doesn't work. Uh, we can never truly know how good good enough would have to be in order to qualify. This is not the proper foundation. It doesn't work. And so we need to make sure that Instead, we keep the correct order and we allow faith to establish our relationship with God and then on top of that faith, we can place and we can add goodness. Our faith um, doesn't spring from our goodness, but our goodness absolutely springs from our faith. And then to that goodness, we add the next quality to our goodness, knowledge, to our goodness, knowledge. And it's important once uh, we've placed our faith in Christ, added goodness, that we add more and more knowledge about what pleases God. I would describe this knowledge as understanding God through his word and his world, the two ways he's revealed himself. And someone might ask the question, is knowledge a Christian's friend or foe? Because I think there's a common misconception in our culture that says that a, a person of faith isn't really interested in the facts. They're not really interested in knowledge or, or science. Uh, they, they just want to sort of have blind faith to accept what they believe. But is that true? I think it's interesting to note that the, the English word science comes from the Latin word scientia, meaning knowledge. And so that's what Peter's telling us to, to add to our faith. We need to add more science, more knowledge, more knowledge of, of God's word and more knowledge of his world. Peter trusts that all truth is God's truth. And so when we come to discover more knowledge about God through his word and his world, we come to know God, the maker of both, far better. But one word of caution here is that it doesn't really, know how, it doesn't really matter how much you know if you've actually leapfrogged goodness in the process. In other words, if all you care about in your Christian experience is gaining more and more head knowledge of God or the Bible, then maybe you've misunderstood that the effect of your faith is to first of all produce goodness then knowledge, not the other way around. But once we've added this knowledge, then we're ready for the next step, the next layer, the next quality, and that is self-control. To our knowledge, self-control. And this self-control is absolutely built on the knowledge of what pleases God, but it also requires the development of habits. We could look at self-control sort of as a muscle that requires repetitive training to grow stronger. And I might describe this as mastering passions instead of being mastered by them. 
mastering our passions instead of letting our passions master us. And kind of like the, <clears throat> the star athlete with the, the fat contract that has so much potential but finds himself sitting on the sidelines because the one thing he couldn't control was himself. Man, I think we could run the risk if we're not careful of being people with true faith that really are good people in so many ways. And maybe we have loads of biblical knowledge, but somewhere along the line, we shipwreck our lives because we never, we never developed self-control. And so we weren't able to say no to certain appetites. We weren't able to control ourselves and keep ourselves from engaging in things we never thought we would. And man, so we end up not being able to develop ourselves and experience all that God has for us. Because we've, we've sidelined ourselves for lack of self-control. And Peter says, don't let that be your story. And if that is your story, then I want to encourage you today, it doesn't have to be the end of your story. There can be more. You can develop self-control even now and experience all the opportunities that God has for your life. And then, once we've developed that self-control, we can add perseverance. And perseverance really is is the result of developing self-control. The result of becoming a self-controlled person is the ability to persevere in the face of difficulty. Perseverance is really sort of uh, self-control on steroids. It's self-control on full display. It's self-control despite hardship. So if social distancing requires self-control, then, man, perseverance is social distancing week seven, week eight. If resisting temptation requires self-control, then... And perseverance is to resist temptation over long periods of time and in the face of much social pressure. If living as a single person uh, in a way that honors God takes self-control, then man, perseverance is to do that for years. But once we've added perseverance, then we can add that next quality to the list and to perseverance, godliness. And, and this is really the word piety or piousness. Uh, this, this piety, this godliness, it puts devotion on display in our lives. It's when others can look at our lives and see that we have a heart after God. And you know, there's sort of a, a sad irony here because the word piety or piousness, it's kind of taken on some negative connotations over time. And it's come to mean like pompousness or arrogance. And that's really too bad. Because the result of growing closer and closer to God in our lives is not that we become more of a jerk. No, it's instead that we actually become more humble, that we see ourselves more soberly and more, more rightly and realistically before God. And you know, I find it stunning that this one isn't at the very top of the list because I'm thinking to myself, like a godly person, like they've arrived, right? Like they're there. But John, the, the Bible writer John, actually tells us what it is that would keep an otherwise godly person from reaching full Christian maturity when in 1 John 4 he writes, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen. Cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so we've got some work to do still. And so to godliness, we need to add mutual affection. And to godliness, mutual affection. And this is the Greek word phileo. It means, it's often described as brotherly love. This is um, that innate desire that you have as a follower of Jesus, to be drawn toward other Christ followers because of the spiritual union that you share. And Jesus taught that this uncommon um, affection toward other Christians, it would actually set the stage for the impact that we could have in our world. 
And, you know, I think it's easy for us to think, well, you know, how important is the affection side of my Christian love? I mean, the feeling side, like, is it really that important to express my feelings to other Christians such as can be done in a community group setting? And Peter's telling us, look, it's near the very top of the Christian maturity stack. It's ultra important, so make every effort to add it to your life. And then, finally, we get to the very top, to mutual affection, love. Love, this is the word agape in Greek. It's the God brand of self-sacrificial love. It's acting in someone else's best interest, even at cost to myself. And Peter presents this as the very pinnacle of Christian maturity. And Paul agrees with Peter in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these the greatest is, is love. And so we discover that anything truly founded in faith must finally express itself in love. And if you consider yourself today to be a solid Christian, but you're careless with your words, your social media posts in a way that hurts other people, then maybe this growth metric would actually suggest that you've got a lot further to go in your Christian maturity than you might have thought. And I think where these items sit on the stack is very helpful and instructive because those that think they're very mature in their Christian faith because they have loads of biblical knowledge, I think would do well to notice that it's a mid-level virtue at best. It's not nearly the pinnacle of our Christian development. And if you've trusted Christ with your life, then where are you on this stack? And where are you challenged that there's still a lot of room to grow in your life? I mean, it's not as if we reach a certain level, right? Like, I'm now godly, and I'm staying there forever. I have no more work to do on that. No, each one of these qualities require work all the time. All of us have work to do, no matter how long we've followed Jesus at all of these qualities. But Peter is saying this, that we should also notice, as we look back at the path of our life, an increasing measure in all of them as our life moves along the path. And how vital are each of these qualities today with the pressure that you're facing as a parent or as a spouse or as a, a single adult or as a teenager striving to please God in the face of peer pressure to do the popular thing that doesn't? And as you're engaged in online interaction, man, we've all been engaged in a ton of that lately. Like, have you noticed that these qualities are showing up? Are they being showcased? Particularly when you're engaging in that divisive subject or topic? Are these the kind of things that seem to seep out of you or is it something far less healthy? As COVID has, has really changed the game for all of us and maybe added financial pressures or intensified relationships at home, have these virtues been evidenced or have they been glaringly deficient? And I know as a dad myself, just when I think I'm doing pretty well at any one of these qualities, man, a situation will arise at home uh, where my selfishness comes to the surface and I'm knocked down a few pegs. And I realize I've got a lot of work to do. But what present situation in your life and my life could be improved through the intentional adding, through making every effort to add any one of these qualities to our rebuilding efforts? Because just as our, our memories, they help us preserve the past, our memory can really help us build our future. And I don't think we build that well just through the accidental or haphazard expression of these kinds of qualities. But instead, as Peter urges us, it happens best when we, when we make every effort to intentionally add these qualities to our lives. But how do we do that? Well, I think there's three simple ideas I'd like to 
to share on this. And, and number one is simply this, memorize this list. Memorize this list of, of qualities. It's actually not that hard to memorize this list because it comes in such a, a logical, sequential order. We're talking eight words, three short verses. But I think memorizing this list could, could cause this structure here, this stack, to be a, a memory tool that could serve you again and again, to pull out of your back pocket and these qualities could serve as targets for you to aim for again and again in your Christian life. I think that could be a really helpful tool for you. But, but then again, like eight things, come on, eight things? Like how can I possibly practically act on eight things this week? Well, I agree, that's really challenging. And so let me hopefully narrow it down with these last two. Number two, I think we should identify where we are. Identify where I'm stuck. Where are you stuck when it comes to the qualities on this list? Has your faith development stalled somewhere along the way? Where are you stack stuck, you could say, today? Are you in the same place you were five years ago in terms of your goodness or your knowledge or your self-control? And what excuses need to be removed from your vocabulary as to why you can't become a more self-controlled person or a more godly person to, or to display more love? What excuses should be removed? I think identifying where we're stuck can go a long way in helping us get unstuck. And then finally, number three, I think we should pick one and get to work. I encourage you, pick one of these and get to work. That could be especially powerful in your life today. You say, well, how do I do that? What's some practical ways that that could happen? Well, man, there's so many of them. Let me just name a few. Maybe it's knowledge that you need to add to your life today. And maybe that's by cracking a book, finding a podcast. Maybe it's by starting a reading plan, finishing a reading plan. Maybe it's by getting curious about the world God made for you to live in. Maybe it's self-control that you need to develop and it's about eating right or working out. Maybe it's about limiting your, your media consumption to like maybe, I don't know, 10 Netflix shows a day. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, no, like limiting your media consumption, a great way to develop your self-control. Or maybe it's godliness that you need to develop and you need to be careful not to uh, accept praise, but instead deflect it and celebrate the success of others. Perhaps it's love where you can offer help to a, an elderly neighbor that needs it or donate to a food bank. Maybe it's even within the four walls of your home, which I, need, I know is maybe the most difficult for us. Giving up control, the remote control, letting someone else pick the game or the movie or the meal. Like none of this stuff is all that complicated, but it all requires our absolute best effort. And I think when it comes to our, our memory, we've got a choice to make. We can either allow our memory to serve us in advance or we can allow the regrettable memories of poor choices made to continue to work against us on into the future. And I think on this Memorial Day weekend, we do well to remember the sacrifices of so many in the past. But I think we also do really well to remember to intentionally add the kind of qualities that will cause our lives to glorify God. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the gift of a memory and the amazing tool that it can be for our Christian success. So God, I pray uh, that you would help us. We need your help to honor you well. We need your help to remember to add these qualities to our life. And so I pray that you'll help us in that endeavor for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, man. It has been a blast having you with us, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to connect with you today, this week, at some point. You can do that quite easily by texting the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, and uh, you'll not just get an automated texting service. No, you'll get a live human being that's ready and, and, and eager to connect with you, and man, we hope we can help you on your faith journey. Whatever it is you might need. Maybe it's one of these qualities. Maybe you're saying, man, I've really struggled to develop my self-control or my knowledge. And man, we'd love to come alongside you and help you take that next step, whatever today that might be. Hey, we're excited about next week. We're gonna be kicking off a brand new series, Protecting the Promise, thinking about how we can strengthen our marriages. Maybe you're not married yet. And man, this is just great advice for uh, the possibility that one day you will be. But man, we're excited to kick, kick that series off next week. Hey, I want to say something as a campus pastor. For those of you that regularly attend our Greece campus, I miss you like crazy. Can't wait to, uh, till we're back together live. I know that's a sentiment that's shared across all of our campuses, uh, but we are excited. But until then, we're very thankful that we get to hang out like this uh, each and every weekend together. Well, I hope that you'll uh, have a great rest of your holiday weekend. Enjoy the beautiful weather out there. And uh, yeah, have a great week.